0: Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl.
1: This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of The Short Term Show. I am very excited about today's guests. I am a super fan myself, so I'm going to try to contain myself uh, while I'm asking these guys questions. So we've got Chris Voss and Steve Schull. They really need no introduction, but I'm going to let them introduce themselves uh, and tell you a little bit about their background and their new book that they have out. Um, Chris, do you want to go first?
0: Sure. Uh, I'm Chris Voss, and I'm a ballerina. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I heard that about you
0: Actually, there's a friend of mine here I live in Vegas A friend of mine, a woman uh, who, who was running a SWAT team Before she was a cop She was a ballerina Oh my goodness So that, that'd make you, you know, Ballerinas are tough You know, they're tough they're, They they take a lot of pain They're great athletes You know, I could I, I pr- I'd i probably make compare myself to a ballerina She'd be like She'd be like You're not tough enough to be a ballerina <laughs> But yeah, I'm a a retired FBI agent, former lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI. Wrote a book on negotiation first, called "Never Split the Difference," a business negotiation, applying hostage negotiation, emotional intelligence to real life, and doing better than anything else. Not perfect, just better than anything else. And then along came this NFL Super Bowl captain football player coach and negotiate a uh, coaching real estate agents said you know your stuff is awesome let's collaborate and ta-da, ta-da, Steve Steve
2: show <laughs>
1: all right he teed you up great <laughs> how's it going steve
2: very good thank you for for having both of us today uh, as chris mentioned uh, my professional life started in the NFL as a linebacker for the Miami Dolphins. And then uh, a knee injury uh, ended my career after uh, four years. And from there, I went back, got an MBA from the University of Miami, went to work on Wall Street for a period Steve, of- is it, uh, University of Miami, is that the
0: school they called San Quentin U? Uh,
2: that's the one. That's the one. That
0: was <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> then... Uh, Worked on Wall Street for about five years, and then ended up in Southern California selling residential real estate. Uh, 1991, first year in business, sold 53 homes. Second year was on track to sell 100. And I came up with the idea of creating a coaching program for real estate agents. And that's that's where real estate coaching started. I've been doing that for about 25 years when one of my clients went to a book signing of Chris's in Malibu and gave me a copy of the book. And one Saturday afternoon, I read it and it was a light bulb moment for me for my entire coaching career. I've been trying to take all the emotion out of real estate sales and boil it down to fact, logic and reason and in reading Chris book in reading Chris's book i realized i had it completely backwards and you can't overcome emotion with fact logic and reason and i reached out to Chris we uh got together we started with uh i you know i said to him everything you wrote and never split the difference applies 100% to real estate and so We started out with an eight-week negotiation course, and we did several more programs, and then about uh, two years or so, we got together and collaborated on the full fee agent, and that's how we got here today.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have y'all. And I have a lot of lot of questions because same as you, when I read Never Split the Difference, as a real estate agent running a real estate team, I was like, oh wow, this is all of this is very applicable to what we're doing. And there's a lot of things that I am doing wrong <laughs> when that I realized from reading that book. So
0: now our first of all, wrong <laughs> is a harsh term. Let's uh, to, <laughs> to say that you can do something better doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. And that's what okay. I think if people changing their habits a little bit. You know, that's kind of the first emotional hurdle. Like, ah, was I wrong? Well, if you didn't know, you weren't wrong. To to uh, a guy I used to uh, live uh, close to in D.C. used to always say, "I'm willing to be smarter today than I was yesterday." And just to ask you, just to allow yourself to be smarter t- today than you were yesterday. That's
1: all. Okay. Well, I I like that advice. Be easier on yourself. So there's a lot of things I could have been doing a hell of a lot better. And uh, am today, but so one of the things that you guys just mentioned that's kind of a universal concept in each book um, is emotional intelligence, yeah. and I feel like uh, it is—it's really difficult in, especially in the real estate agent world, where a lot of agents are really, really, really old school when it comes to negotiation. So they're saying things like, "Yeah, I'm a pit bull. I'm a fighter. I'm going to go fight for my clients," and. And what they do is instead of negotiating like, you know, a normal human, like we're having a conversation, they run straight into a deal and they start busting heads and they don't, when they really could have just talked to people like a normal human and said, Hey, you know what? Here's what my client needs. He's not trying to be a jerk here, but you know, it stops making sense after this point. What can we do to negotiate this rather than saying, well, if you don't do this right now, then they're walking away. And I think that a lot of agents, that's their default. So what would be your advice to an agent or you know, maybe a real estate investor, since that's most of our listeners who's hiring an agent about searching out or seeking out emotional intelligence in their agents?
0: Uh, seek, seeking it out or teaching it to them, you know, so finding oh, oh, out whether okay. they're, not, they're, they're teachable. I'll give you a coachable. I'll give you a quick down and dirty test for whether or not somebody's coachable. And people who succeed in negotiations or in business are going to be a combination of coachable and slash or hardworking. Like I've run across some people that failed this test that I'm getting ready to share with you. But they were they were so hardworking that they eventually got it. And this test is just how quickly does somebody get it? What's your default browser on your laptop or what browser do you use on your laptop? Now, if, if you're using the browser that came with the laptop, then and you're succeeding, you're probably hardworking. This is a test that I that I learned about a long time ago. I read a book uh, called uh, Originals by Adam Grant. Adam Grant is brilliant thinker, Wharton professor. In his book, Originals, he said coachability is uh, correlates strongly with success. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but what's the what's the default browser? And if, if, they got a, if, they got a, if they got a Mac and they're using Safari, they're using the default browser. But if they got Chrome or Firefox, you know, they're taking the time to um, find a better way, you know, not accept the default. So I thought this is really interesting. I'm, I'm going to experiment with this. Um, so I, the experiment was at my class at USC, 50 students. I realized this is an unscientific experiment. I don't care. I'm a layman. I'm not a PhD. I could be unscientific all day long. I asked everybody in the class uh what browser are you using on your on your laptops. Then at the end of the class, I compared the A students with the poor students, the best with the, the worst. Roughly six on each end, bell curve. Four out of six of my top performers all had changed their browser to either Chrome or Safari. So it wasn't a one-to-one ratio on success. Fully a third of them didn't bother making the change. Simultaneously, all of the losers, all of the low performers, all of them simply took the default browser. So it's a correlation strongly with if you're just accepting the situation as it is, that doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. you are got to pull it out by being hardworking. The odds are it's harder for you to be successful, but all of your poor performers are not coachable, all of them. So when you're looking for people in advance, you know, instead of a red flag, it's a yellow flag. Quick and easy test to see how coachable they are, or if, if they're not coachable and they're not hardworking, they're going to fail. That's just there's no way around it.
1: Okay, well, that is a really interesting test, but I, I see how that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that I have Chrome on my Mac. So I was going to be silently <laughs> crying uh, <laughs> if, if I had the wrong answer.
0: That'd have been be tough. But then I, you know, my the easy one there is like a third of them just just hardworking, relentless people. They're going to find a way to succeed. It might take them a little bit longer, but these are the people who are going to stay up at night. You know, they're going to work on the weekends. And then ultimately, you know, what we're doing, what Steve and I are teaching people is how to be successful and get their life back. So then if they're hardworking, eventually, OK, so you're successful. Like Steve was a ridiculously hardworking dude. He may be the hardest working guy on planet Earth. He's also extremely coachable. The In his NFL career, the coach he admires most is – uh, the mere fact that he admires a coach, Don Shula, the greatest coach that ever coached in the NFL, right, Steve?
2: Winningest coach in NFL history, exactly. And coachability is, is a huge factor in people being successful. And, you know, people listening, going back to your question, the entire real estate industry is set up for people to fail, not succeed. Everything's everything, every force imaginable is conspiring to turn agents into being a commodity. And you know, the behavior that you mentioned earlier that they exhibit, they're just a byproduct of the system because that's the way we're programmed. And when I when I read Chris's book, it was like, wow, this is a 180-degree shift which I made instantly. They were like, once you hear the truth, that's the truth. And one of the big things that we talk about in in tactical empathy, which is the skill of making people feel understood, is making it about the other person, not you. You know, the person who, you know, rushes into that negotiation – like a bull, which you described earlier, they're not making it about their client. They're making it about them and what they want. And rule number one in being a great communicator, a great negotiator, a great relationship builder, is you got to make it about the other person. You've got to let go of whatever, you know, your thoughts and your feelings so you can focus exclusively on the other person. This, that no one, no one that I've ever come across with this whole idea of making people feel understood, no one ever talked about that. Stephen Covey got close with, you know, seek first to understand before being understood. However, this takes it to a whole different level, which is make people feel understood because getting back to emotional intelligence. Until someone feels understood, they can't hear anything you're saying. So, salespeople are talking to people all the time, and they're not listening because they ha- they're they not being made to feel understood. And, and making someone feel understood is about getting a that's right response. And that's what you're targeting. It sounds like, it seems like, it feels like, you're probably thinking, you're probably feeling and when and when you get that that's right, that's when you know that person gets that you get what they're thinking and feeling. And you'll actually feel a click. You'll actually feel the energy get in alignment. And so this whole idea about making people feel understood, this is a universal truth that no matter who's listening, no matter what they're doing, It can help them in their life tremendously, both personally and professionally.
1: I think definitely making people understand that you understand where they're coming from is is a big part of it. Like most of our clients are, real estate investors and they're buying their first, second, third, short-term rental. And I remember how terrified I was when I bought my first real estate investment from the day we closed to the day we had our first booking. My husband and I stayed up until two o'clock in the morning, every night, looking at each other, wondering if we just ruined our lives. <laughs> and when wow. I think, yeah, luckily we didn't 250 doors later, but um, I, I always try to look back, you know, cause we all kind of, turn into the worst versions of ourselves in real estate deals. Cause it's a lot of money. There's a lot on the line. And so when clients start to get really upset or what seems to be like more upset than necessary about small things, I always try to look back to like, okay, think about how terrified you were. That's what they're feeling right now. So we need to work through this emotion with them rather than just be like, Hey, you're being kind of ridiculous about this couch right now. Uh, because that's not, that's not going to get them through it. So, Um, how do you, what are some strategies that you guys recommend for, because you can't, like you said, get past emotional issues with logic. What are some strategies to work through those emotional intelligence problems, um, rather than trying to just be like, Hey, you're, you're being a little silly right now about this.
0: You you know, practice in, in, in the little things, uh, everyday interactions, with pretty much everybody you're talking to, because you know th- this is a this is a, a game changing, game winning strategy for big negotiations. And w- a sports analogy, I've always loved the sports analogy for a variety of reasons, not just because you know Steve played in the NFL. But a long time ago, a guy named Jim Camp wrote a book uh, called "Start with No" back in 2002. Jim and I were friends; we collaborated, and he used to describe negotiation as a human performance event. Which means you got to practice if you're going to be any good at it. You got to, you know, uh, any, any human performance event is a perishable skill. Um, so you're not going to try out a new emotional intelligence strategy in the middle of a big real estate negotiation. You're just not. So you got to practice on little people and, and do swags. You know, you got to do emotional intelligence swag. Do you know what a swag is?
1: I don't. What's the swag?
0: Scientific wild ass guess. <laughs> so you got to swag and you got to swag on people's emotions in the moment so that you pick it up in any in, in emotions and you do exactly what you were talking about. Now, you you understand people's emotions in these big negotiations because you went through similar emotions. But you want to handicap yourself by needing to have had that experience. Well, if you start taking guesses on the little things, you don't need the experience to know what somebody's going through. So you, you look on somebody's face when you're checking out at the grocery store. looks like you're having a tough day. The, the, Uber, you know, the lift driver, you know, my lift driver is supposed to be three minutes away and the dude doesn't move for five minutes. And, all right. So you know, who knows what he's doing? But then he shows up and parks in front of my house on the other side of the street and waits for me to cross the street to come over and get it. And I got luggage, and this person doesn't get out of their seat to help me put my bags in the back of the, uh, of the, tr- uh, the vehicle. Like, this person's having a tough day, or this person doesn't like being a lift driver. So I sit down in, in a lift with this guy, I'm like, eh, you know, tough day. Instead of, how are you? He's giving me all sorts of vibes that he ain't good, or she ain't good. So the the leveling up your approach to people and your small stakes interactions, instead of saying, how are you? Take a swag on how they look at you in a moment. Now you're going to start a conversation. You're going to feel seen and heard. That's your prep for the big, big negotiations. Tiger Woods practiced constantly. Had a swing coach, practiced on a putting green, was constantly on a driving range. Tiger Woods didn't win every, every tournament he played in for a while by only playing in tournaments.
1: Really good advice. It does take practice for sure. And Steve, do you have anything you want to add to that?
2: Uh, Most salespeople, most people have been taught to ask questions. Part of the tactical empathy toolbox is using what we call labels. And again, you're labeling what you think someone is thinking and feeling. And and another thing, you know, never assume what someone's thinking and feeling. You know, ask them. And now we've taken it to a different level, Chris has, in labeling what you think they're thinking and feeling. You know, it seems like you're really upset. Seems like you're having a great day feels like you're really concerned. You know, these are all examples of labeling. And, and if you're really not sure how someone is thinking and feeling, then use a mislabel. You know, put something out there that you don't think they're thinking and feeling. And when you mislabel someone, people love to correct other people. They and do. So, <laughs> even if you get it wrong and you say, you know, it seems like you're having a great day. And they go, no, we're having a terrible day. They actually feel good in correcting you. So you, you you can't get it wrong. And, you know, getting back to the whole idea of emotion, when you're labeling someone, you're diffusing any negative emotions that that might be going on. And it's, it's not about solving problems. It, you know, salespeople are always thinking they've got to solve a problem. No, they don't have to solve a problem. If they can diffuse the emotions, specifically negative emotions, that's a much better way to end up at a at a, a solution that, that's going to be positive.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, it, doing the whole like pit bull fighting agent thing is actually injecting angst and tension into the deal and doing the opposite of what you really want to do and then also when someone responds to you in a negative way like maybe they were short or sharp or they're just not giving you what your client wants it's really easy for us to get to respond mentally not out loud and saying you know oh they're just a dick or they're just an asshole and not thinking well why are they responding like that maybe their client's being really difficult to them and they've got you know maybe they're upset Maybe they're maybe they've had a bad day. Maybe they've got a lot of other things going on. Maybe they've got another deal that's completely blown up that they've just been beat to death on. And they're responding to you in an aggressive way. And you can stop that by saying, well, you know, maybe they have had a, putting yourself in their shoes because there are very few people walking around out there that are being assholes just for the sake of being an asshole, in my opinion. Do you guys agree with that?
0: Uh, yeah, Yes, with a, with a caveat. <laughs> okay. Because you know, the people that pride themselves on being being harsh, they 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 become addicted to it. They remind me of slot machine addicts. Like each victory is gives them such a dopamine rush that they stop paying attention to their win rate. Now, and I and I live in Vegas. That was one of the things we were talking about earlier. I've always used it as an analogy. I'm, I'm not here because I gamble, I'm here because I like the taxes, they're earning. But the casino's got the numbers down And the numbers are you got to win one in every 84 polls And then when you win The bells go off And things light up And it's this huge celebration You get this massive dopamine rush And you get addicted to the dopamine rush The celebration And you forget that your success rate Is only one in 84 tries And I think people don't start out to be combative pit bulls, jerks, but then the one time that it worked, the rush is so good that they don't pay any attention to how often they lose or how many people they drive away. So I don't think anybody ever starts out that way, but I think unfortunately becomes addictive behavior because of the celebration that obscures how often you fail. Wow,
1: that's very insightful. Hey guys, hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the Short-Term Show. We are loving it. We are loving interviewing all these guests for you guys and we hope you're getting a lot of value out of it. And we just, we really love you guys. We love you so much that we have created a community just for you. We have a Facebook group specifically for short-term rental investors and there are tons of great posts every day, sharing best practices, learning new things from other short-term rental investors. And we would love to see you over there. The name of the group is the same name as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Head over and join the conversation. We look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks, guys. Hopefully you guys are finding all of these short-term show episodes to be really helpful. We certainly hope that you are, but maybe you have more questions and you just want to be able to ask an expert a certain question here and there. Well, we have at the short-term shop open office hours on Zoom every Thursday and you can sign up. For free. So if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up to hop on and we will answer any questions that you have on short-term rental investing. Again, it's every Thursday and you can sign up at strquestions.com. All right, let's move on to another point in the book. So Steve, now, Steve's
0: talk- thinking right now, he either liked what I said or he thinks I'm full of shit. I don't, I don't know for sure which one it is, but I'm trying to read the body language.
2: You know, you I it. like what you said. <laughs> thinking.
1: All right, so another point in the book that you talk about, Steve, is getting your life back. What do you mean by that?
2: I work with a lot, I, I work with the best of the best in real estate, people doing 100 million plus, 250 million plus in total uh, You know, sales volume, 500 million plus, close to a billion plus. And what I see across the board, across the board, is the more business they do, the more stress they have in their life. This whole idea of, you know, more is better. And somehow, if I keep doing more and more and more, my life's gonna get better is very misguided. It's it's not that there's something wrong with more, it's how you get to more. That's the thing. And real estate agents are most everyone who's not participating, or everyone who's not participating in our training. They're in the game of chasing, convincing, and closing. It's what you described earlier. They're all going down that path. It's all They're all chasing a dollar. And what all of them are going to find, no matter how many dollars they get, its it ends the same way, poorly. What we stress, it's not how much business you do, it's how you do your business. And ultimately... We want our clients to not only do incredibly well, we want them to be well. And what tactical empathy does for everyone who uses it, it takes all the stress out of of the game, all of it. Salespeople are taking responsibility for things they're not responsible for. Delivering bad news. Stresses agents out all the time, and they're in the business of delivering bad news. That's what they do every single day. And one single, one single line in the, in, in, in that they'll learn in the book is, I've got some really bad news. That one line takes so much stress out of any situation that might be difficult. Bracing people, learning how to brace people for bad news, so that when you actually deliver the bad news, they're relieved. They're relieved. When you go to someone, look, I've got some really, really bad news. This is gonna break your heart. They go to death. And yeah. <laughs> so when you when you deliver whatever the bad news is, it's it's almost a relief. And, and you know, so as part of this methodology, it gives agents, rather than being a commodity, which they're all being pushed in that direction, you know, competing on price and giving away their stuff, we're empowering people to be human beings, not be doormats. They don't have to beg for business. They don't have to give their money away. The full fee agent. I can tell you in real estate, the most important decision any agent makes. And this is how long you have you been selling real estate?
1: Since 2016.
2: Okay. So you're fairly new. But for most people, this is going to be a 30-plus-year career. And the most important decision they can make is the fee they charge. And when you make charging a full fee, your standard, then you've got to become a better real estate agent. It it makes no sense to charge a full fee and go broke. We're not promoting that. We're promoting how do you charge a full fee and grow your business in a way that's sustainable and enjoyable? And and this sounds outlandish, stress-free, stress-free, literally. And that's what tax sound outlandish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. As a real estate agent, the word stress free sounds really outlandish.
2: It does. It does. However, if you embrace this methodology, there's nothing, A, there's nothing to fear to begin with. And it gives you the ability to communicate anything that needs to be communicated in an authentic, sincere way. And, you're, you know, your thoughts and feelings aren't in the equation because it's not about you, it's about them. And people either want to move forward or they don't. One of the big concepts in the book, and th- th- this is, you know, this is life-changing for, for agents, for anyone in sales, is the idea of the favorite in the fool. In in real estate, agents think they win or lose business based on their presentation skills and to a lesser degree, the commission they charge. That's not the case at all. When they get that phone call that someone's interested in selling their home, that potential seller already knows who they're going to work with or they're leaning strongly in a direction. And your job as the agent is to simply find out, am I the favorite or am I the fool? in the game. And if you're not the favorite, that makes you the fool in the game and not understanding this dynamic and not understanding how to recognize who you are. Again, that creates a tremendous amount of stress. And when you understand the dynamic and you understand how to recognize and determine who you are, boy, your life, you talk about getting your life back, you're getting your life back.
1: Yeah, that's really, really awesome advice. And how do you, so if you're, if someone calls either to list their house with you or maybe to hire you as a buyer's agent, what are some clues that you might be the favorite or that you might be the fool?
2: Oh What are we looking for there? The biggest thing you're going to ask is what Chris calls proof of life, you know, from the hostage negotiation world, you know, is there a deal here? Is there a deal here with you? And it comes down to a very simple question. I'm curious, of all the people you could have reached out to, why me? And when you ask that question, they're going to give you their perception of your value. They're going to tell you how they perceive your value. And that is going to be a strong indication of whether you're the favorite or the fool. If they say, you know, our best, you sold our best friend's home. You got a really great result. They loved working with you. We went on to your website. We love the way you present property. We went on the Zillow. We looked at all your reviews. We love what Sally Smith said about you. You know, if you get a robust response like that, that's a pretty good indication that you're the favorite versus oh we went online we looked at uh uh we looked at your website and we decided to call you up that's not a lot of reason they they could do that with a million different agents and so what you're listening for is their response to the question why me
1: all right so what is your response then if you figure out okay I'm the fool here
2: then you're going to exit gracefully.
1: Oh, you don't try to change their mind?
2: No, not at all. You know, this is another big premise. You know, Chris mentioned we live in a Las Vegas world, meaning we live in a world of probabilities. And what we're teaching, our methodology, is we only want to go after the business where we strongly feel we're the favorite. And that means what we're saying to agents You can sit at the table where you have an 80% chance or greater of winning, or you can sit at the table where you have a 20% or less chance of winning. We're only going to sit at the 80% table. We're going to concede where we might have a 20% chance or less. We're willing to walk away from that because I don't want to go on 10 appointments to get one or two. I want to go on 10 to get eight, nine, or 10. And so there's only so much time in a day. You can't, A, you don't want to do every deal and you can't do every deal. So we want to stay focused on where those opportunities that we deem high probability and we're willing to forego those opportunities that we don't think are high probability. And again, that goes against the grain completely in real estate because every agent's out there fighting for every single deal. And, you know, and and then what are they fighting with? Fact, logic and reason. And, you know, so they're fighting a losing battle and that's why they're all so stressed out, even when they're selling a lot of homes.
1: That makes sense. So you want to sit at the table with the people who like you rather than sitting at the table trying to convince the people who don't like you to like you.
2: I don't want to convince anyone of everything, of anything. And Chris has a great saying. We 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 love this. When you're explaining, you're losing. When you're explaining, you're losing. Oh, that's great. I and love that. Talk about getting your life back. When you stop explaining, you're getting your life back because you're wasting your life when you're trying to explain to people why they should work with you.
1: Wow. <laughs> I was just sitting here pondering that. And then I'm like, wait a minute here on the air. So a couple more things that I want to hit on, um, cause we're running out of time. The first one is, so Chris, you said something before we were recording, you said, or maybe it was right at the very beginning. Uh, if you do something good, three people know about it. If you do something bad, 12 people know about it. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think that's so true.
0: Yeah, you know, there's no such thing as a one off negotiation. It just is either you're going to see this person again or people that know this person is going to hear about you. And, you know, w- what are some rules of life? If you do something nice, you know, good, good. Uh, three people know about it. But negativity gets around fascinating else. If you do something bad, negative, um, predatory, t- take advantage of somebody. Twelve people know about it. It was that was probably the biggest lesson to learn in hostage negotiation that I had to teach new people coming on because they're like, all right, so this is a one-off. We're never we're never gonna see this guy again. We could lie to him if we need to. You know, we could tell him that he could come out and get away and we could have a SWAT team shoot him when he comes out. And and at, you know, even if even if it is a one-off, and I used to say the only people you're gonna lie you should lie to are the people you're gonna kill. And even then, they got family and friends that are gonna hear about it. So just just lying, deceiving, taking advantage of somebody, it's going to come back to bite you, number one. Number two, anybody that you're uh, trying to take advantage of in some way, shape, or form, uh, deception by omission, deception by the literal truth, any form of deception, or taking advantage of them, or exploiting your leverage, there's a pretty good chance that this situation they constructed to test you, like, do you know, especially in a high-stress situation on the other side, distressed seller, somebody who's, who's backed into a corner. They may just be testing you and checking to see if you're going to fail. So there's so much downside to doing something negative. Uh, it's lo- it's guarantee for long-term failure. It just eats away at your reputation. It eats away at your life. If you've got a scorched earth approach to anything, pretty soon nobody wants to do business with you. It's just no way around the downside of how much damage it does to you, your life and your ability to make money.
1: Yeah, I've definitely seen that in this business more times than one. Um, it's rough out there. Uh, and then nobody goes around and says, hey, you know, they did the best job ever. <laughs> it's They don't talk about it when you, when you do something good, only when you mess up.
0: Yeah, you're the subject of cocktail party conversations when you've done something bad or done something wrong. Right? <laughs> people love talking about that. That's why that gets around.
1: Yep, yep. So last thing I want to talk to you guys about is what are the top mistakes that you see, maybe with agents or maybe with real estate investors when they're negotiating on a deal? Uh, what are the top negotiation mistakes that you see people make?
0: Yeah, well, going first, you know, trying to explain your position, trying to take a position first, just going first under any way, shape or form, which is in many ways contrary to what my academic brothers and sisters would would teach, which is, you know, go first, take your claim, uh, just adjust the zone of possible agreement, the zopa you know, high anchor, extreme anchor, whether it's first or second, you know, to try to affect the potential outcome. You know, going first is, is you giving away information when you should be gathering information. You don't know for sure where the other side's coming from. I hate the thought of leaving money on the table because I spoke up too soon. So I really want to know where the other side's coming from first, and then I can adjust and adapt. I need the information of letting somebody else talk first. That That's kind of my first thought. I, I, Steve, I don't know. What do you think?
2: Oh, the thing that drew me in to Chris's book was the title never split the difference. You know, that's how every real estate agent negotiates, you know, that that's all <laughs> they're ever trying to do is split the difference and learning that that is not, you know, this whole idea of win, win, <laughs> that's a bunch of nonsense. And, you know, so the, you know, in reading both of the books, you're going to learn that it's not about splitting the difference. That That's not a, a strategy that's an effective strategy for being a great negotiator. And again, understanding where the other person is and, and why they're in that position. You know, Chris was alluding to, if you're talking, you're not learning. If you're talking, you're not learning and too many people are doing too much talking versus how you listen has far more impact on a negotiation than what you're saying. And then we can take it even a step further. Tone of voice. Tone of voice alone can be way more important than, than what you say. So there's, there's a science to how the mind works and when you understand that science you know you know if someone wants to put in a low offer look you're probably going to think this is an incredibly ridiculous offer you know you brace them first for what they're going to get so when they get the offer it's not nearly as bad as you just set it up to be there there there's all these things that you can be doing when you understand science of mind to become much more effective In your negotiations.
1: Yeah, door in the face technique. Set them up to be really bad, and then hey, it's not that bad.
2: No, because we're human beings, we're wired to be negative. You know, just understanding fear of loss is a much greater motivator than the prospect of gain. You know, salespeople are always out there trying to pitch gain, benefit, and opportunity. That's not what moves people. What moves people is fear of loss. So, you know, understanding, you know, what's actually going on in someone's decision-making process can really help anyone in terms of their ability to negotiate.
1: Do you guys think that today's culture of like doing everything on text message and email, going back to what you said about tone of voice, hinders negotiations rather than people are picking up the phone and calling each other and hearing their tone of voice? Because I know with me, when I read a text message, depending on how I'm feeling, I might read it in a different tone of voice from the other person when, you know, maybe it sounded harsh, but they didn't mean it harsh. So what do you guys, What? how do you remedy that? Because nobody wants to answer. I don't want to answer the phone. I'd rather die than answer the phone. I want to text, but I know that it makes a difference. So how do you guys uh, recommend combating that when it comes to, you know, being a real estate agent or, or investor, whoever you're negotiating with combating the text culture?
0: Yeah, well, you know, you got to combine all three. Look at each one as a tool. Uh, take take the f- fact that you know your text your email is going to be heard based on the other person's mood. So the real problem with text and emails is that if you look at it as using them to play chess, people are trying to make seven chess moves in one one move, one communication. And if you look at it that way, that's just so. So if if you if you cut them down just try to get one message across per communication and then take into account, how can I word this? What can I add to soften it? And it's usually not emojis, although occasionally (laughs) an emoji might help, but it's going to be a combination of, uh, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your question marks, exclamation points, periods, dots, dashes. I mean, look at it on the whole thing is how you can can help it land gently and genuinely and then the communications can become very effective and then if someone has been very respectful and very cautious with their emails and their texts and they're they've conditioned you that they're also cautious with their communications Like I get you to pick up the phone. I I don't have anybody that ghosts me. And Steve probably doesn't have anybody in his life that ghosts him either. Doesn't matter what age they are. Millennials or the the next generation after them, whatever they call them. As soon as you start looking at the communication as all three are complementary and we don't waste people's time, people
2: pick up the phone for us all the time.
1: I'd pick up the phone for y'all.
2: I All think right. You, when you really look at, take the time to think about how is this going to land? How is this going to land? And give it some extra, extra thought in doing that. And the other thing that we haven't gotten into is what we call no oriented questions. Everyone's always phrasing things to get a yes response. And when you do that, you're actually creating resistance. When you frame things to get a no that serves you, would this be impossible? Would you be opposed? Would it be too much to ask? When you learn to start using no-oriented questions, you're going to get a much, a much more favorable response than trying to get yeses out of people. That's
1: okay. That's a really good one too. Man, I can keep you guys on here all day, but I know you guys have stuff to do better than talk to me. So we'll get to the last three questions of the show. We ask these to everyone. Everyone has a different answer. But uh, first one is, what advice would you give 20-year-old Chris and Steve?
0: For me, because I'm a natural-born assertive, uh, is just to be nicer about how I assert. So my, my strength and my weakness is the fact that, yeah, I mean, assertion is essential in negotiations. It's just utterly essential and it's inadequate. It lacks niceness, you know, pleasantness generally. And it lacks in-depth analysis generally. So to me, just, you know, keep your same morals, keep your same principles, keep your same objectives, be nicer about it because I'm, of the three types that everyone falls into, one of these three types, I'm a naturalist. All
1: right, Steve.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I could go on for hours here. <laughs> um, I I think what I would say to my 20 year old Steve is, the most important thing in life is to learn how to enjoy each day, no matter what is happening. Because if you can't figure out a way to enjoy today, then you've wasted today, and you're not getting today back. And so, again, for everyone, no matter where they are, you know, happiness is not a condition. It's a choice. And you can choose to be unconditionally happy. And, and so that would be my coaching there.
1: Well, I needed to hear that because I've certainly wasted a lot of days not enjoying them, being stressed out. So, thank you for that. Um, next question: What advice would you give a new investor or business owner, entrepreneur, getting started today?
0: Focus on the process, not the outcome.
1: Great, great advice.
2: I would. The advice I would give is: don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, as long as you learn from a mistake, it's not a mistake. And you're only, you know, by doing this, you, you you've got to get your reps in. We talk about it all the time. It's no different in football. It's no different in negotiating. It's no different if you're going to buy, you know, investment property. You've got to get your reps in, and you you know, just make sure you learn from every negotiation, every deal. You know, one of the things we did in football after every game, you know, every game is filmed, you go in, and the, the first the coaches go through every play and grade every player on every play. And then you come in as a team and you watch the film and you make any corrections. So what I would tell your investors is on every deal, okay, what did I learn from this deal? And keep a Keep a notebook, keep a running notebook. And, you know, and if you keep learning from every deal's, Pretty soon the patterns are going to emerge and you're going to, you know, you're going to see what works and see what, what, what doesn't work. We, we operate off of impulse and instinct way too much.
1: Also really great advice. And this one's a little more fun. Uh, what is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset?
0: Uh Never split the difference. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: that that's a great one. That you could totally plug that. I that no, I, I got a, I
0: got a lot of books I like. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's a tough call because of people that I think the world of that I, I hate to leave out. But the first thing that springs to my mind, Stephen Kotler's book, "The Rise of Superman," about the science of flow. I mean, of the books that spring to mind in, initially, that's one of the first. Once You know, Cotler's you know, started getting into flow and, and a number of people out there started getting into flow before we had the neuroscience to back it up, back it up. And Cotler's one of my favorites. He's a good guy. He's an interesting cat. And his book, The Rise of Superman, led me to a number of other books that he wrote. So that's the first thing he springs to my mind.
1: All right. Steve?
2: For me, it's easy. Uh, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And It's really about developing the mindset of harmony. We can, you know, this has been a big shift in my life. We're all programmed to believe that we can manifest and make things happen and all the goal setting. You know, the truth is what's happening is happening. None of it is personal and all of it is temporary. And when you can get in harmony with what's happening, that is a complete life changer.
1: I have not read that one. I'll definitely check that out. Well, guys, thank you so, so much for your time. I was super excited to have you guys on. I hope you all had fun. Uh, if our listeners want to follow you all on social media, buy your books, where can they do that?
0: Well, I, I, if they come to our website, blackswanltd.com, B L A C K S W A N L T D.com, you can find out a whole range of services and including our, our, our overall, any sort of negotiation advice. And it is also an avenue to stuff we're doing for negotiations in real estate, anything related. And, 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 and so that that's one avenue. And I know that Steve's probably got another avenue for to come directly to him as well.
2: Uh, it, what Chris said, just uh second that. And, uh, I love your energy and love your enthusiasm. Keep it up.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for coming on. And uh, we'll catch you all later. Yeah,
0: it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you.